Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Uh, our guest for today, Randy Harris. If you enjoyed him, if you thought, I really want to hear more about this guy, hear him talk more, I got a great opportunity for you to do that. May 3rd through 6th, Pepperdine University's Bible Lecture. This year's the theme is Cruciform, Living in Light of the Jesus Story. Randy Harris will be there, N.T. Wright, Ruby Bridges, Greg Boyd, Richard Beck, myself, Jonathan Storman, and plenty more. There's a ton of people who are going to be there. So mark your calendars for May 3rd through 6th. And join us on the gorgeous campus of Pepperdine University. Uh, There are actually affordable housing options that are available, which will probably give you a gorgeous view of the Pacific Ocean. So check that out. Go to our uh, website. There's a link on there to get to uh, places to sign up and register for the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. So hope to see you there May 3rd through 6th at the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. All right, friends, here we go. Me and Randy Harris talking down in Houston. And here we go. That's why you're like me, because I'm left-handed. Right. Yeah, but I don't really... Th- Does 74 a, count as far as I have a Kershaw jersey, too. You do? That's good. Better turn the phone off. Um, what are we going to talk about? We're going to figure it out. <laughs> Is that the way you do this? Yeah. Yeah, I just got ideas. We just do this. Do I get any uh, pre-warning? No, we're already recording. <laughs> this is what cool people do when they do podcasts. They just start recording. Because it's always awkward, like, how do you start a podcast? But we're already starting now. We've already bantered about your baseball jersey. <laughs> how do you feel about that? Well, you could have told me that before. Why do you need to know that before? We well, need that microphone as close as possible. At least I didn't say anything foul, right? No, I would edit that out. Foul. I was making a baseball pun. <laughs> kind of slipped right past you there, didn't it? That was good. It was a little bit of a wild p- joke yeah, yeah. pitch. No, I don't know that. Did you just get in town today? I just did. Just now? Mm-hmm. Yeah? You flying back out Saturday afternoon? Uh, no, I'm going to preach at uh, Bama on Sunday. Oh, yeah. nice. How many weekends are you traveling these days? Uh, about two a month now. Oh. Tapered back. Yeah, I have a discernment committee that now decides during the school year where I travel and where I don't. So they're, they're two a month is kind of what they've decided on. Have you ever uh, had to like fight them over like a really good gig you want to go to and they said no? Um, well, obedience and submission have never been my t- highest, yeah. you know, strong points. So why, would Christian, you, so why would you get people to tell you what to do then? It, well, it's a spiritual discipline. Mm. <laughs> so is marriage count as a spiritual discipline then? Absolutely. At least that's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it's the ultimate spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Did you have, now, can I tell my favorite Randy Hare story? Uh, sure. Do you know which one it is? <laughs> I don't know. you have any idea? <laughs> no. My favorite story. <laughs> oh, the one about where I bawled you out in preaching class. Yes, exactly. It's a great story. <laughs> my senior year of college, 
I had just come back from an internship in California as required by my degree plan. And so I came back and I had a little bit of the vernacular that people in California use. Um, and in a preaching class, I might have referred to a female friend as a chick. <laughs> have you loosened up on your policy about using the word chick in sermons? Absolutely not. No, no. no. Even if they're from California? Well, it's probably worse now. Is it worse now? In a PC world, are you kidding? It's even worse? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I accidentally let the word chick slip, and the uh, classmates of mine were very complimentary of my sermon. There was only one person who wasn't, and that was you. <laughs> I don't think I've been chewed out by any coach as good as that one. Well, I'm, I'm sure I did say some positive things, right? No. <laughs> no. You started off as funny. Yeah, we remember the story somewhat differently. What positive things do you remember saying? <laughs> well, I just I don't remember that I would have ever been wholly negative about any student sermon. And mm-hmm. You were a good preacher, you know. I like how you use it in the past tense. You were a good preacher. I've well, gotten... I'm talking about it in my class. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not even worthy to critique your preaching anymore. When you were a student, oh, I on. sort of could. Come but, on. But now. I'm just ripping off your stuff. That's all I do in my sermons. <laughs> yeah. Well, needless uh, to say, you were not that pleased with that word choice. And yes. at one point you asked, why did you say that? And I think the only thing I could come up with is, I don't know. I didn't think about it. And <laughs> I think your line was, now tell me if this sounds correct. How dare your unpreparedness <laughs> defame the word of God? Does that sound... Yeah, yeah, I think I, yeah, my remembrance is I said something like, why would you take the chance of not getting the word of God heard because mm-hmm. you uh, thoughtlessly used a word that would be off-putting? Like, I've never done that. <laughs> no. It would make you feel better to know that on Thursday I went through my conclusion for a good 40 minutes in our auditorium. Just thinking, what if Randy Harris was here? I don't want him to yell at me if I <laughs> conclude the sermon incorrectly. Oh, me. Well, the best part of the story, though, Ew. is I leave that evening, and I remember going to watch a movie with Chris Dowdy, remember okay, him, sure. and a few other friends, sure. and I'm just like, I'm upset about this. I got chewed out in preaching class, <laughs> and I don't remember what emo song I was listening to, but there was one yelly song or something, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm very mad, and this emo band is really... It's, it's really articulating my, my hurt right now. And the next morning, I wake up in my house, and there's a fall, uh, call on our house phone, which dates, dates <laughs> yeah. pretty good right there. Yeah, yeah. And it's you, and you're, you call, and you say, hello, this is Randy. And I'm like, oh, no, he's coming, coming back for more. <laughs> it's like a shark attack, you know? Yeah, a shark yeah. attack comes back to bite I, the... Absolutely. And yeah. I was expecting that, and you apologize. You said, I'm sorry for embarrassing you in front of your friends. And ever since then... I'm in Camp Randy. Whatever you say, I'm on board with. Because why in the world would someone who doesn't have a deep spirituality apologize to some idiot 20-year-old college kid? Yeah. There's no, there's no way that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I'm, um, in some ways, the, the unforgivable sin for a teacher, other than coming to class unprepared, is uh, to embarrass a student in front of their classmates. Because mm. that's... that's really wounding and uh being a teacher doesn't give you the doesn't give you the right to do that it's not like it's not like christian ethics apply everywhere except in your classroom where you're god you know and so and i think if you make and i'm sure you found this out too if you if you make your living with your tongue uh you're going to have some moments like that and uh you're going to have some moments when you wish you could uh take it back and I was just talking to a preaching friend recently, and he said, you know, you can't get this right. 
you know, he, he used one term and you find out that that one's no longer the, the appropriate term. And, yeah. and, and, and that's, it's true. You can't, you can't get it right. And that's why I think you need to be ready to, to apologize. And, you know, you just go into it, you know, and you're going you're gonna to do the best you can, but you're not going to get it right all the time. And being, being quick to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, um, I, I think it's a really good policy. Have, have you apologized to a student in the last decade? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I did, I did uh, something that educationally worked really well, but, uh, I, again, I can't, I, I don't feel like I want to say it quite as publicly as your podcast is. With the, so with I think the I know the story, so, so I can't say it? I, I'd really not. Uh, it's, it was great, though, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, and I, I have told it a few times. But, again, this is a pretty public forum. And, um, again, I, I thought I, uh, you know, I thought I mistreated the student. The student didn't feel that way. Because hmm. I felt the same. I didn't think you mistreated me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, and so I, I, I also apologized to him. And then I said, okay, and I want to apologize to you in front of the class. And so hmm. I did. Um, and I don't know how he felt about it. I felt a lot better about it. Really? I mean, don't you think our first reaction when, when people, I mean, you didn't come back at me, but when people hit us with stuff. No, because I was crying in the corner. <laughs> don't you think our first reaction is to be defensive? And, yeah. you know, if you can swallow hard on that defensiveness and then say, okay, is there anything to this? So and the first response is, I don't want to feel the pain of I'm in the wrong? Right. Hmm. And I'm the teacher and I need to be right. And you're just being thin-skinned and and because if you give it some time, you can you can talk yourself into believing what you did was right. Absolutely, it didn't take most of, most of us very long <laughs> to, get, to get to that point. But I, not only that, I think it's our initial reaction, and it that that's why you got the call. I think the the next day after I'd sat with it, I thought, okay, I didn't like I didn't like the way I yeah I had a point. I still think I had a point. Oh. <laughs> uh, 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 um, but yeah, that's not that's not who I want to be. That's not who I want to be. Uh, you know, I, I, there are um, you know, these two kind of crazy postmodern French writers, uh, Guy Deleuze and Felix Guattari. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, they talk about living. Well, in, in the introduction of one of their books, Michel Foucault is another another French guy describes their book as uh, an introduction to the non-fascist lifestyle. Hmm. And I, you know, I don't want to be a fascist in mm -hmm. my class. I really don't. And I think asking the question, okay, in, in a situation where you have more power, what does it mean to follow a crucified Messiah in that in that situation? And again, as you know, you know, we can tell stories all day about the stuff we wish we had back, right? Mm -hmm. teaching, teaching and preaching is a perilous business, and you're going to make mistakes. And I just think they're easier to live with if you can admit them rather than, you know, always having to be on the defensive. Is it easier to admit them the more you get in the practice of apologizing? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Because it feels uh, so much better. Because <laughs> there's a catharsis of Absolutely. this inside of me. It's, yeah. it's yeah. made right somehow. Yeah, I've made it right. I've made it right, as right as I can yeah. uh, with, the, with the other person. And... If I don't do that, what I tend to do is get resentful. What do you mean resentful about it? Um, well, you know, if I if I uh, 
you know, if I if somebody criticizes something that I say in a sermon, and you know, if I don't take it seriously, then you know, I just kind of build up this. You know, yeah. I, who do they think they are? Yes. Why do they think they have? Don't I think? I think I know more about this than they do, mm-hmm. and you know, and it just that just kind of builds up. And I'd rather breathe deep. And it doesn't mean you always apologize because sometimes, you know, insincere apology is is no good. But uh, you're open to the possibility that they that they might be right, and uh, that, you know, okay, they might be right. Yeah, I made a joke um, <clears throat> in a sermon, Christmas Eve sermon. And it was a joke that's really funny on the podcast. And I made a joke about Episcopalians. I was quoting Episcopalian at the time, and um, the last guest on the podcast or two ago was one of my Episcopalian friends, and she made a joke about Church of Christ sermons being too long. And it was like in that banter of kind yes, of yes, friendly, yeah. like friendly right, banter. Right. In a sermon, it didn't work. And yeah. I didn't. I, I knew at the time, I knew it before, and I thought, I'm not going to say it. And then I just, it slipped out, and I, yeah. oh, I can't believe I said yeah, it. Yeah. And then I've had like two or three people say, hey, that joke. And I was like, yeah, no, I know. I, I wish I wouldn't have said it. And then they keep talking and tell me how it was wrong. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. And I was even talking to my therapist, like, okay, I know that I was wrong. Why does it still hurt? Like, why am I still, like, why is there still this, like, this yeah. pit inside of me? Like, okay, I know I'm wrong. I know that they're right. I, but it still feels, like, awful inside of me. Right. That you just can't, can't undo it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the life of someone who talks for a living. I think that's right. You just say stupid things. <laughs> okay, so I've been, I've been Team Randy Harris ever since then. Yeah. But I've got one question I've wanted to ask you about something that you said involved me, but I wasn't there. Okay. Now, um, my first job out of school, um, we're in an event uh, right now in Houston for, for elders, and um, I don't think any eldership would say, like, when everyone resigns from your eldership, it's a good, healthy environment. I think that's a fair statement. That's generally true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so my first... Was, Although there have been a few churches where that was... It was probably a better thing. possible thing, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes. so the church I was at, you okay. know, all the elders resigned after I was there six months, and it was kind of a, a little bit of a, a cluster yeah. um, of, you know, mistake after mistake. And yeah. anyway, it didn't end up too well for me, and or for a lot of other people. But afterwards, one of the elders who hired me ran into you at an event, and he came up to you kind of sheepish, sheepishly, like expecting you... To chew him out. Now, in my background, I go, I know Randy is able to chew people out. <laughs> and there's part of me that I was like, oh, yeah, Random, you tell him everything that he needs to hear. <laughs> and this is me. I'm 26 or whatever at the time. And I'm hearing, okay, Randy, you get a chance to chew this guy out. Tell him all the stuff that he needs to hear, and I'm really going to feel vindicated. And you didn't. Yeah. And every th- Now, I trust you intrinsically. Like, Rand- I'm, I'm team Randy. <laughs> but at that moment, I was like, Randy. Come on, you chewed me out, you chew him out. (laughs) What? And and you said, no, I'm not going to chew you out. Why in that situation would you choose to not do that? Yeah. Um, Well, you know, our friend friend Jonathan Stormer always gives me a hard time about this. He says, okay, I've watched you, and I see how you work. And you say to people what you think they're ready to hear. Hmm. And... Uh, that's absolutely true. Really? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'd probably still be more likely to chew on you today because I'd presume on our relationship. Mm-hmm. I think, okay, Luke, Luke knows that I care so much about him. But somebody I don't have that relationship with, I'm not, I'm not likely to, you know, you, you kind of have to earn the right to mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. chew somebody out, right? And, and uh, you know, there, 
again, I hope I've grown in that in, mm-hmm. in, in some ways. I mean, a straight talk never hurt anything. You know, I, I, t- I try to be fairly straightforward in, in my communication. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the question is, okay, what, what does our relationship allow me to say to you? And what, what can I say to you that you're able to hear in a way that's going to be, that's going to be helpful? Uh, so I'm not, I'm always not just thinking, okay, what do I think you need to hear, but how am I going to say it in a way that you're going to be able to, mm-hmm. to hear it? And, um, again, I don't even have a clear recollection of that. Oh, I do. Of that, of that oh, I do. conversation. I think, I think it's another thing if I threw you under the bus, I'd, that'd be pretty bad news. I'd be disappointed in myself if I did that. But, um, you know, there, there's some conversation you almost have to be invited into. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you're really listening for what's best for the other person. And sometimes when you want to choose someone out, it's for your own happiness or your own sense of catharsis that you can just get something off your chest yeah. and therefore you feel better. And it has really nothing to do with the other person. And it's not helping them. It's not moving them along in their journey. It's just you yeah. dumping all your junk onto them. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know Thich Nhat Hanh is a Zen master. You know, you kinda, you kinda, what church does he go to? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so he's a, he's, he's a master. He's helpful <laughs> on, on things like, like speech where, okay, there's enough suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't particularly want to create any additional suffering by, hmm. by what I say. And so how, how can I say things that are going to be helpful to you? And that doesn't mean I don't ever say anything that are, that are tough or, or painful. I, my guess is I've said more of those things than most, but um, I want it to come out of a relationship that's deep enough where people will, will know that, uh, okay, he might, he might say something that might hurt me, but he would never say anything that would harm me. And if, if people know you have their best interest at, at heart, and you know, you're an impossible you were in an impossible situation. I wouldn't have fixed. I wouldn't be able to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. You know, uh, not only could I not fix that in a conversation, I couldn't. I couldn't fix it at all. And it sure would have been fun for me, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. I, I mean, but that's again, that's selfish. That's not the, yeah. the way of Jesus. It's not right. That right. that's the way of me protecting myself and me getting my own best interests. It's not. Yeah. Um, when you, I'm curious when you have when you have one of those. We've all had them where we do cut loose. How, how do you feel about it? afterwards is is it as cathartic as you thought it would be or does it tend to leave a hmm. bad taste in your I'm, mouth? I'm trying to think of the last time that i really just well, went to town on someone yeah. I, I really can't yeah um i can't think of a no i <laughs> hmm i can't think of any that i i cut loose on and i felt good about it afterwards either yeah. i can't i just can't think of a moment where i was like oh yeah i'm really glad i i said that terrible thing to someone yeah. uh I remember talking to a friend when, uh, you know, making what I believe to be, and what was, uh, a bad life choice. And it was a friend that, you know, I was close enough to that, you know, I really, really gave him the business. And um, it wasn't something that this person wanted to hear, and it wasn't something they they did hear well. And Mm. it kind of escalated, went back and forth, and nothing was progressed by that. But I, I guess in that moment, I knew... I couldn't keep silent about this. Right. They were making a terrible life choice that affected a lot of people, and they needed to hear how yeah. cancerous I thought it was. Um, but, I mean, that's half a decade ago probably. Yeah. That's the only time I can think of it. Yeah, and I think 
uh, I, I like to do what I call kind of calling the conversation on those on those kind of things where okay, you, you know you say to the other person okay what what kind of conversation are we going to have here you know are we good enough friends for me to mm-hmm. you know to, to tell you what I to what I think uh, uh, how what you know what what are we doing here what do people usually say to that um, generally if you give people that opportunity they'll say no I want to I want to hear what you really, what you really think, and uh, okay. Now I'm not just barging in; they're inviting me. Yeah, they're inviting me, in. and that doesn't mean you still don't have to be. It doesn't mean you don't still have to be careful about how you say it, and it also doesn't mean it's always going to go well. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, there's some stuff that's just hard to hear, and uh, that's where you have to really kind of check your own motives and. And do a lot of those pause for three seconds before you say yeah. before you say anything. That sure is a great. Pr- I mean, it's not complicated <laughs> at all, but man, it is brilliant. You just take a few seconds and go, okay, let me think before I speak. Because yeah. half of the time I get myself in trouble, it's because I'm talking way too fast. Right. I think that's true. Most of us. Yeah. 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 It's not like complicated. It's just breathe. Just breathe right. for a few times, and you're better off. Right. Okay, so someone who's definitely a big fan of breathing and contemplation that you got to meet uh, a few months ago, Richard Rohr. Mm-hmm. Now, the first time I met Richard Rohr in person, I don't know if you remember this, but I called you from Albuquerque and I said, hey, I met the, the Franciscan version of Randy Harris. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's sold a couple more books than you, just maybe a few. Yeah, I'd um, say so. But that's the only difference. Yeah. When you met him, what was your experience of, what did you think of your experience of meeting Richard Rohr? Yeah, that, that was the second time. Uh, oh, you met him before? Well, I don't know if it counts. You know, I, I was at a big thing. Yeah, you're a, a big, big thing. thing he did, and, and and so that was the first time I'd kind of really actually uh, spent time with him. I, I think the um, I think the first impression you, you come away from is um, after writing all these books, uh, he's the real deal. This is a genuine contemplative who has a deep contemplative life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always take those people really seriously. Um, you know, pe- people who have clearly spent lots of time alone with God, which I think He clearly has. Because you know, you see one of these guys and you're at these big seminars, and there's seven or eight hundred people there, and there's a lot of you know kind of fandom out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you always wonder, okay, who who is this guy really? But I think if you rub sh- shoulders with him, did you come away with that impression that this this yes. is a guy who's very attentive to his contemplative life and yes. he deserves to be heard. And, I think there's just something special seriously. about him. What what makes you be able to tell that? I mean, is there something tangible that you just go, oh, okay, it was there, it was in that, that you could just sense it? I mean, or is this like a talent respects talent, like you you monk people uh, or just? I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's hard to fake a contemplative disposition towards life. Hmm. I, I, you know, I, Why I, can't you fake it? There's a lot of things you can fake. Yeah, I think that one's hard to fake. Hmm. Um, and you know, when I've been around you know, two con- true contemplatives, they all seem to have, I, I don't know what it is. There, there's something, they, they carry peace with them. It's uh, the best way I know to describe it. And, and peace kind of comes into the room. With mm-hmm. them, and I think that's what you can't. I think that's what you can't fake. Um, hmm. uh, I think that's a, that's a grace 
that that comes from uh, time time in the desert. Yeah. And that doesn't mean there are any contemplatives who aren't bad people. I'm sure there are. But yeah. I think it's I think it's easier to fake being a uh, a preacher than it is to fake being a oh, yeah. contemplative. Yeah, I mean a preacher someone who talks on the stage that I mean there's a lot of people that don't know they're preacher. Um, if you interact with a contemplative person you're you're not just interacting with ideas but like someone's presence and right. connection. Right. And he clearly comes from a deep place, right? I mean yeah. I mean you gotta lean in with which okay. I'm, I'm trying to stay with you. you yes. Know, because, you know, he's obviously so been swimming in some really deep water. Yeah, and he is easily the easiest interview I've ever had because he's like always looking for something positive, this like non-dualistic thinking of, oh, Luke, you just uh, attributed a quote of Michael Jackson to me. That is really, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's a beautiful line. Yeah, Thank that, you. Isn't that irritating? Yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, for those, I, for those of us who struggle with, mm-hmm. you know, cynicism and negativity. It's just positive, just yeah. positive on top of positive. Yeah. Okay, when you think of people who walk in with like just a presence of peace, are there other people that you've encountered that you go, oh, you you have that thing too? I, uh, I mean, yeah. besides me. Yeah, I yeah. know you're going to say me. You don't feel like you have to, but. Uh, uh, sure. The um, the, the late uh, Kelly Namick um, was um, director of the Leb Shomia House of Prayer. He's a, a hermit. Hmm. You know, he'd been out in the desert for 40 years. He, mm-hmm. certainly, he certainly carried that presence with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I dare say Thich Nhat Hanh certainly carries that presence? Mm-hmm. Uh, Have you spent? I was at a retreat where where he was and down so, in Alabama, right? Uh, Mississippi, same thing. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, a thousand Buddhists in Mississippi. Get your arms around that. Um, and so it was not like one on one audience, but his the piece he carries is palpable. Was it in every step? Feel it. It was in every step. Yeah. Book title joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think to have that sort of presence, you have to be someone who uh, lives this, you know, uh, single life that's kind of secluded from um, maybe normal society? I mean, obviously, Roar's, um, you know, Franciscan priest who you know, doesn't have some of the same obligations that many, you know, mothers or fathers have. And Thich Nhat Hanh isn't, uh, last time I checked, he doesn't have a bunch of grandkids coming right. over for Thanksgiving. Right. So. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think you have to have a commitment to contemplation uh, to have to have that kind of presence. And I don't I don't think it's just single monk people who can have that. But mm-hmm. it's, I mean, if you have a lot of ob- other obligations, it's, it's hard to it's have harder. contemplation. It's harder to. I, th- I think I think it's it's possible to learn to have a contemplative stance towards life. But um, it's hard to do, you know, dishwashing contemplation and child-rearing contemplation and talking to your wife contemplation without also having cons- sort of some sitting alone with God contemplation. I think, yeah. I think it's just, you know, I think it's really hard. So if someone's going to say, well, I want to start that, I want to try, try to do that, and I can't go be a hermit, um, you're going to recommend uh, Armchair Mystic to them. That's one of your books of choice, correct? Uh, yep. Yeah, a Mark Mark Thibodeau. Thibodeau, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're gonna so, Ignatian. Ignatian, yeah. He's yeah. going to teach you to waste time with God, right? Um, as we're thinking about like practices of what that looks like, besides reading that book, what what do you prescribe for someone? I I still think that where you you start, there are two places you start. 
one place you start is trying to commit 15 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to believe that 15 minutes a day can be life transforming. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing would be develop the discipline of offering 60 or 90 second prayers six or seven times a day. Kind of get into that mm -hmm. monastic rhythm so that you pause at certain times during your day, pray for 60 seconds, say, God, okay, I want to be aware of your presence in the next hour. Mm -hmm. And if you do that six or seven times a day, and that changes your, your attitude in that next hour, by the end of the day, you've had a pretty good day. Yeah. And so for people who are you know, skirting in life, you know, those two things, and then the thing I always say about, mm -hmm. okay, you know, breathe three times. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're in situations, you know your buttons are getting pushed, and you're feeling stressed. Then okay, pay attention to your breathing. Mm -hmm. you know, breathe three times. Pause before you you speak. I think I think those are things that almost anybody can do. I think even I don't know. You tell me, young married couples, if if they're committed to it, um, he can provide her with 15 minutes a day, and she can provide him with 15 minutes a day. I say okay, you need you need to go. You need 15 minutes to sit with God, so I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna manage things, so you can do that. You know, yeah. you, if you have an agreement that, then that's possible. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us get 15 minutes on social media every day, so I think we yeah. probably have that 15 minutes somewhere <laughs> yeah. that we can go yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I think that's I think that's feasible. Yeah, I, I really do. Okay, let me ask you another question. Another subject. Can we change the subject? Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. I wasn't aware that there particularly was a subject, there, but... <laughs> people say the same thing about my sermon. They're like, is there really a subject? Yeah, you're just kind of just riffing up here. Yeah, yeah. yeah that doesn't matter. Um, Do you remember what I said about that in preaching? How many points should a sermon have? One. Let's at least one. Let's try for one. Yeah. <laughs> at least one. <laughs> I don't know if they all get there, but uh, yeah. it's definitely a lofty goal. Right. As long as you land the plane and have one point, it's a good sermon. There you go. Thank you. B plus, Randy Harris preaching class. Absolutely. <laughs> I think I got it. I should have gotten an A. I don't know if I did or not. Okay, so let's talk about doubts. Okay. So um, uh, the old line, I think Frederick Buechner says, uh, doubts are like the ants in the pants of faith. Okay. Just, you know, keep things interesting or whatever. It's, I like, great. it's, it's a great line. It's a good line, yeah. I think that's how he wrote it or maybe someone else wrote it. Mm -hmm. um, when you think of... Faith. I think there's one understanding of faith that it is like the absence of doubts. Like they're all gone. And so they hear the Beekner quote and they go, oh, that's terrible. No, like you don't have enough faith. You know, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. The writer of Hebrews, whoever he or she was, told mm -hmm. us to do that. So that's what faith is. It seems that there's a lot of people who are now going, or, or a lot of people now, uh, as there have been throughout the years, but a lot of people who are articulating faith in a way that says, no, faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the incorporation of doubt into this understanding of our connection to the vine is at best, it's, it's faith. It's not called science. I mean, it's, a, it's this mystery that we're entering into. And so from your experience of, of being a person of faith, what do you think the involvement of doubt is in the faith process? You know, there, there's a line that I've tended to attribute to Augustine, although if you asked me where it was now, I would, you know, would be able to tell you Augustine is supposed to have said, uh, only the one who truly doubts can truly believe. Hmm. Um, and when you think about it that way, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is more like apathy yeah. or, or not caring. And, and caring enough to doubt seems to move you pretty close to faith. 
Um, and, 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 and since I've tended to be, you know, once you get yourself trained in post-modernity, uh, doubt is part of your standard operating equipment. But, but even Milton, you know, in Paradise Lost, I think, said, suspicion sleeps at wisdom's gate. Hmm. Um, which, which is to say, even those certainties need to be, need to be looked at from time to time. But the more, the more I thought about it, I, I think I've been such an advocate for doubt being the shadow side or part of faith mm -hmm. that, that I'm beginning to think that maybe we should make distinctions. I think there, are, there is a kind of doubting that's corrosive. Okay. What kind of doubting is that? Uh, I think it's the kind of doubting that f finally winds up in, in what we would call cynicism. It's the kind of doubting that says nothing is ever exactly what it uh, ap appears to be, and you you go through life uh, being suspicious in ways that are paralyzing and embittering. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think there's. I think there's the more productive kind of doubt uh, that says there's more for me to know mm -hmm. about this, yeah. and there are deeper there, there there are deeper pools that I haven't I haven't entered into mm -hmm. yet, uh, and I don't yet uh, I I still see through a glass darkly. Mm -hmm. No, and 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 I think I think those are healthier. I think those are healthier kind of of doubt. Yeah. So if you have one that leads to cynicism, that just is pessimistic of everything. That this is all okay. Who really knows anything? Right. And that you have nothing to hold on to. Okay. Right. Well, that's obviously not a good destination. But if your doubts lead you to a level of humility to know, I, I can't know all this. Right. And I'm aware that there's more out there beyond what I can fathom. Like that's a healthy place. Yeah. Why do you think that's healthier than saying, no, 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 these are the, you know, the five you know, fundamental truths that everyone has to have, and I've got it figured out, and if you don't have these five, then you have nothing. Why is like this humility that, okay, I can't really encapsulate all the divine in like five core tenets. Why is that actually healthier? I, well, I think the, the, the most obvious answer would be uh, you can't grow uh, if you take that first position. There's hmm. there's nothing left to to know. There's yeah, nothing left to fathom. There's nothing left to achieve. And so, um, in in faith, and so I, I I think that's the the deal. It, you just you're stuck where you are uh, forever. Um, uh, let's see who who's the you 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 probably done a pod. Did you do a podcast with a guy who wrote My Bright Abyss? No, uh, Wyman. Wyman. Right? No, I never Christian got Wyman. one with him. No, no, no. Um, I heard I heard Christian Wyman. Um, uh, speaking one time and uh, said something that rang true to me. I don't know if it rings true to you. Or, um, he said, there are very few preachers who haven't at some point had the experience who in the moment of preaching didn't believe in God. Uh, that you know, if you preach long enough, at some point you will be preaching a sermon where even in the moment of that preaching, you're not sure what you're saying. You're not sure about God. Have you been there? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, okay, are we going to say now? If, if if that's your 
only way of operating. We, <laughs> we, we might suggest you step away, <laughs> you know, for a time. Maybe that's a good idea to step away. Um, but if that's a... I prefer, I prefer to have somebody for whom, uh, I prefer to listen to somebody preach for whom faith isn't as easy as it is for some people. And yes. If they're, if they're struggling with uh, what it means to be a believer and, and to see God in a very broken and sick world, I'd, I'd prefer to hear. Me too. I'd prefer to hear that person. I, I don't feel like I can connect to someone's humanity if it's like this glossy, pretty picture that seems to always be like this magazine cover for like, this is a Christian life. It seems that if someone walks with a limb, if someone has struggles that they, they don't just keep inside, but they display right. so all of us can see, that's what I'm gravitated towards as well. And I think I, I tended to do better with students who had an occasional struggle. I, I don't think I'd do as well with students who've never had a doubt, never had a question. I'm, I'm, not, sure not? I'm, I'm not sure I'm the best teacher for Why that. don't think? Because you're suspicious of them, right? Yeah, I, I, I wonder. You, know? you just think they're all fake. No, I don't think they're all fake. Like who? Which one do you think is more fake, Jonathan Storman or Josh Ross? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, it's not, it's not that I think it's, it's fake. I just uh, – I think in most people's lives, there's going to be a moment and um, that something that your faith is not fully prepared for is going to, is going to ambush you. Yeah. And if you don't have room for – uh, d doubt and uncertainty and brokenness, not as the opposition to faith, but as part mm -hmm. of the faith. I think it's hard to get through those. It's like you, you have like a very rigid uh, structure that's trying to hold in faith, and when something bigger than that happens, it breaks, whereas if you have something that flexes... Absolutely. I think uh, Bell had the, the image of uh, like a trampoline or something mm -hmm. in a book that I didn't read. Sorry, Rob. That uh, <laughs> like there's a difference. Like you have a brick wall that if you add more to it, it's going to collapse. But if you have you know springs, it'll 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 move with it. And it seems like that's far more healthy. It seems to me it is. Uh, but and again, we can only kind of and that, that's my own experience. Yeah. You, but, know, you know, Thomas is my guy. Yeah. You know, me too. Give me some more evidence. Yeah, I know there's like Franciscans who follow Saint Francis. Yeah. Um, like I want to be a like Tom Messinian or something. Yeah. Like the, I, I want to see the scars in his hand. I want to touch yeah. his side, and that would help me out a whole lot. Yeah. But I don't get that option. Have you? Yeah. You have gotten that option? Touching? Uh, no, I, th I think I. I, I <laughs> You'd gravitate I want that, that direction. Yeah. 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 For some, it doesn't seem when you when you live in this like the the mystery and like the awareness of, like I I can't know everything. There's less to grab onto, mm. and it seems like if you have like these core tenets, like this is the, the foundational things that you have to know, and these are have to be true, then you can just hold on to those, and it's like a, a safe. My hotel room is ringing. That's kind of weird. Yeah, they're probably calling you to ask you if your room's okay. Well, it is okay. It'd be better. <laughs> can I? Yeah, I, don't... I was like, what is ringing? I, I don't have any phones <laughs> in my life. I don't even know what to do with that. Seriously, there's no phone. Yeah. Don't tell any of my. I'm not going to tell. I'll get in trouble for it. Yeah. Anyway. I'm hungry. You want to go get dinner? Sure. Do you have anything else you want to say? Anything you'd like uh, to add? Uh, no. Have, I, have we done what you wanted to do? I feel like we did, we did a lot. Cool. Yeah. yeah. You know my sponsor for this month is Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to go. You're going to be there. Yeah. You're going to close the thing down, aren't you? The last uh, one? Uh, no. Who's, you want the last one? No. Are you sure? I'm pretty positive. I think I'm speaking Thursday night. I think oh. I think Dave may be. Dave oh, Clayton. Dave Clayton's Friday. Maybe Friday night. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. 
Interesting. So is there like a poll who's going to like do the best job? Is there a vote or like a beauty pageant at the end, like where they have everyone walk out and who is their favorite speaker? Do they do that? I don't think so. Uh, I'm sure they get plenty of uh, evaluations and, and comments, and mm-hmm. I don't know whether they're solicited or not, but I'm sure they get them. So yeah. I'm following N.T. Wright, mm-hmm. and so my joke is going to be, you know, thank you, you know, Pepper and I, for the invitation. Thank you, Mike Coe, for inviting me here. Thank you, N.T. Wright, for opening for me. Yeah. Is there a better joke than that that I should start I, with? I can't imagine. I feel like that's pretty solid. That's very solid. Yeah. Okay. That's more solid than anything I have right now. Well, come up with something else. Let me know. You know what I'm talking about my Bible class? What? I'm talking about being a Christian during the election year. How's that working out? It was not so well so far, I don't think. So. Really? Yeah. What? Um, did you hear the news that, uh, is it Cruz, who's been you know, outspoken Christian, and it comes out today that he does not tithe at all? Is <laughs> less than one percent. Yeah, you are not drawing me into this conversation. No, I'm just, just asking a question. You know, that's yeah. a, what about two? What do you think is a more Christian act to give less than one percent, or to call the second letter to the Corinthians two Corinthians? Which, yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not drawing me into this conversation. So, no? on my on my three days of my Pepperdine class, <laughs> my you know Christian in an election year, how to, how to be cruciform during an election year. Mm-hmm. My my three subtitles: the first day is strangers mm-hmm. the second day is losers okay and the third day is profits hmm. so one more question yeah. if someone got onto your computer hard drive mm-hmm. would they find inappropriate emails that shouldn't be on your server like hillary no uh no i don't Do you don't have any classified information on your computer I, that you sure, took home sure from I, acu yes i uh i have a lot of email that i wouldn't want the public to be <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be reading. I mean, Good. You know, I, mean I, I do. I have these conversations with with preachers. I go, okay, should we be doing this over over email? I wonder. Oh, are you seriously like worried about what goes on email? Well, no. I mean, it, 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 oh, yeah. they're sharing very personal, you know, problems and and struggles, and then you know, I think, well, okay, this is the way we do it now. We used to. Doing. Write letters, and now we do, do it email. this way. You know. Well, I'm sure Google yeah. has it all stored up, and eventually they're going to charge you like seventy-two dollars, so they don't like display all your emails. <laughs> Someone's going to make a serious boatload of money yeah. off that. Well, I guess I would. I would pay. I guess you would pay it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would too. <laughs> WikiLeaks Church of Christ preachers. That would be awesome. Yeah. Randy, thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.